Awesome. Thank you, DJ. Thank you, guys. Man, what a great morning to be together. Welcome. So glad you're here today. It's a great day. I know it's spring break, and we have a lot of people that are off and away traveling, and that's, that's all well and good. But we're looking forward to our time together uh, this morning. As we think about this idea, uh, if you were here last week, you, maybe you're tracking with us, but this idea of hope, as we talk about this month, this idea of letting, letting hope arise. If you were with us last week, you heard us introduce this by saying, you know, the truth is we follow uh, an unlikely Messiah who has an impossible plan. And when we follow a guy named Jesus who uh, was a son of some no-name carpenter who came from some no-name town called Nazareth, he got a really unlikely band of disciples together and set his face towards Jerusalem where a cross awaited and where on the other side of that cross and on the other side of that hill stood hope, but he decided to set his face towards certain death to achieve his master plan. You tell that story and you think, wow, this is what we believe. Jesus, by all regards, was an unlikely Messiah. And he had an impossible plan to bring us hope. And today we're going to think about what this hope really is and what it really means. And I was thinking about that this week. Like, like what is hope? Where does hope come from? Now, a lot of you are smarter than me, so you probably already know this. But as I thought about it, I'm like, I mean, really? Like, like where, where do you get it? How do you find it? How do you locate it? How do you lose it? You know, this idea of hope, like, what's it all about? And how do, we, how do we figure it out? And so I did what anybody would do. I pulled out my iPhone and I, and, and I asked Siri. And uh, if you have grandkids in the room, you can ask them how to do this later. But uh, you push this little button and you can ask Siri literally anything. And she has great answers. So I asked Siri because she knows everything. And Siri said this. She, well, she, what she did is she gave me the etymology of the name hope. And to be honest, Siri wasn't helpful in this moment. So... Then I did the next thing that any of us would do. I asked Google. And so I went to Google and I typed in Google. I said, you know, where does hope come from? And hit the, hit the return key there. And, and Google brought back a couple of, a couple of ideas. The first uh, you'll see is apparently there's a charity in the DFW area called the Source of Hope, which I thought, that's really cool. But the second answer was a Bible verse. And if you hit the next slide, uh, Romans 15, 13 is what Google showed me, uh, the Source of Hope, uh, where it says, I pray uh, that God, the Source of Hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. And then you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, wow, I had no idea Google was so spiritual. This is good news. <laughs> like, I don't know if, they, if Google knows me well enough to know that I want like a Bible answer or what. If so, that's really creepy. But <laughs> that's what Google gave me. I thought, that's amazing. But then I thought, like all of you are thinking, today is a special day. Today, actually tonight, is that moment when the selection committee gathers around and they announce the results of who is going to be in the 68-team tournament known as March Madness. And teams all over the nation, you know this is coming, right? Teams all over the nations uh, are going to be watching their TV tonight to see if they're selected, hoping that their team will get to play in the NCAA tournament and, uh, and maybe have a chance to win it, which is a really, really incredible thing to do. How many of you uh, love filling out your brackets for, the, for March Madness? Even if you don't even watch college basketball, you love filling it out. Okay, how many of you guys lose to your wives uh, in the, when they fought their bracket? And the truth is they pick their teams based on like, you know, which color is pretty of the uniforms and important things like what kind of mascot they have. And then they end up beating you and it drives you insane. What's that all about? Well, you could call it heart or attitude or the team's determination. Or you could call it hope, right? Because what does every team, what does every team, what does every player, what does every coach have in common before every game? There's a reason you play the game. The one thing they have in common is hope. Hope that if they play the game, 
that they'll win the game. And hope is this powerful thing, right? It's this powerful idea that, that maybe, just maybe, we can do it. And I'm still wondering, like, where, well, where does that come from? Does it come from knowledge? Like maybe you study enough and you learn enough and you know enough that that gives you hope that you'll have the right answers when, when the thing comes that you have to do? Or does it come from like ability or talent? Like maybe you're gifted in certain ways and just knowing that about yourselves gives you the hope that you can perform at some certain level. Is that where hope comes from? Or maybe, maybe hope comes from just past experience. Like you know what you've done before and so you have confidence and hope you can do it again in the, in, in, in the future. Is that where hope comes from? From And then I thought, man, can, can we even really know where hope comes from? Like, this is a, a serious question for me. You know, can we, can we know, can we figure it out? Where does hope come from? And the more I thought about it, I'm sorry, I'm just taking down my, my thought process here. This may be boring, but just follow me. <laughs> the more I thought about it, I thought, what if hope, what if the source of hope came from our identity? All right, so just track with me on this. I, I read this a long time ago. I think this is true. But they say when, when two guys get together and they start talking and they meet for the first time, that the way they interact and the way they describe and the way they talk about themselves is in terms of what they do. So I meet, I meet another guy. I'm like, hey, you know, my name's Corey. Your name's Jim Bob, whatever. And, uh, and the first question we ask is, well, what do you do? And then I say, well, this is what I do. And we start talking about ourselves in terms of what we do. Women, now you can just see if this is true, but when women get together, two women get together and they meet for the first time and they start talking about themselves and introducing their names and, 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 and talking about who they are, they talk in terms of relationships. And so two ladies get together and they talk about themselves in terms of, yeah, my name is, you know, Susie and, you know, I've got, you know, three kids or I'm married to, you know, Jim Bob, this other guy. Um, you know, they talk about themselves and their lives in terms of relationships. And, and I don't know if that's true. I think it might be true. There's something there. But if, if hope comes from identity and if, if, as, if we as guys base our identity on what we do, then what happens when, when that thing that we do changes you know, you hear about guys that, that get laid off from work. They have trouble finding a job. And, 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 and they're sometimes as described as, as guys who are, who are kind of losing hope a little bit. Why? Well, because a lot of their identity is tied up in what they do. And when they don't do what they do, it's easy to see how they could lose hope. And, and women, if it's true that, that women find their identity and, and their hope maybe in relationships, when those relationships change, then that's where you can see why they could sometimes easily lose hope. I, I don't know if that's true. I, I think what's true for a lot of us in this room is we probably have at least one identity marker in common, more than that. But one of the things that we all have in common, or at least most of us in the room, I think, is that we're all, uh, we're all citizens of, of Texas. We all live in the United States of America. And to one degree or another, I think we have to admit that part of our identity is that. It's just that where we live and, and the nation we live in and, and the land that we, we call home. And so uh, if, if that's true, then, and, and if part of our hope and our identity is, is tied together in that way, then you can understand when we're in the middle of a crazy election year and political season like this, when things are just kind of, you know, out of, out of, out of, just, just crazy, why a lot of people are losing hope, right? Because at the very foundation of our identity is who we are as, as a people, as Americans, is kind of, Kind of, kind of rocky. It kind of shakes us in what we think, and and so fear comes in, and worry and concern comes in, and and we start to lose hope because hope and identity, I think, are tied 
together. And what's really interesting to me is I think that this has always been true for people. And I think this has always been true for the people of God. Like even if you rewind a couple of thousand years to the days of Jesus, what you'll find is, well, they were different than us because they didn't have Siri and Google to answer all their questions. But they had the same concerns and fears and worries that we have, didn't they? I mean, they were still worried about their jobs. They were still worried about their families. They were still worried about uh, the government and politics. They were still worried about the future. They were still, there were still anxieties about what was gonna happen tomorrow. And there was still this growing tension that, you know, the truth is if things didn't change, if there was an improvement around the corner, there was this, this thought, this tension that we don't know what we're gonna do if things don't get any better than they are. And then Jesus comes into the scene, right? He comes into the scene and in his mission, I really believe his mission was to bring hope, to speak hope to the hopeless, hope to the hurting, hope to those who needed hope because he entered a world then and he enters a world now that if we're just being really honest, it's a world that needs hope. And I don't even know where you are as you enter the room today, but I guarantee you all of us, if we could just bottle it up and hand it, out, hand it to you on the way out the door, we would all love to have a little more hope because there's situations and there's people and there's concerns and there's real life things going on right now with us. And man, oh man, man, it'd be nice to have a little bit of hope. But Jesus starts his ministry and people start gathering around and we've talked about this because he's teaching like no one's taught before. And he's saying things they've never heard before. And he's doing things that no one's seen before. And slowly but surely, there's a following gathering around Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, I wanna ask you to open up to Luke to Luke 10. We're gonna keep tracking uh, with, with the story uh, as Luke tells it of Jesus and his ministry. And, and there's this incredible story in Luke 10 that happens when, when Jesus has amassed quite a group of followers. In fact, it says here there's about 70 or 72 followers that have come together around Jesus, men and women that are disciples of Jesus, that he's getting ready to send out on mission. And I want you to hear the story because these people, well, these aren't just the people that are showing up anymore, all right? We, we've got, you've got people that follow Jesus and, and we even have people like this today in church that they just show up and they come and they check the box, they're here, then they're gone. These guys aren't those guys. Uh, these people aren't those people. These are the disciples of Jesus, the men and women who have, followed, have been following Jesus and who are now ready to participate in the life, in the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus is ready to, to, to bring them together, to hear his words, and then to send them out to share this message that he has. Because Jesus has this awesome mission and he has an incredible message and he wants to send people into the whole community to hear what he is trying to bring, this message of hope. And so in Luke 10, verse one, track with me on these, these words from, from the gospel of Luke. The Lord chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places that he planned to visit. And these were his instructions to them. Listen to this. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Very, very encouraging pep talk. Good job, Jesus. <laughs> don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to, get, uh, to greet anyone on the road. 
This sounds like a great idea for a mission trip, right? (laughs) Would any of you do this? Would I do this? Do we do this? Do we ever set out for a trip and we don't pack any bags and we don't take any money and we don't pack extra shoes? Now, some of you have a whole bag that is only shoes. That's That's like a whole suitcase, you know? Who would do this? Who, Jesus says, I want you to go and not take anything with you as you go into the surrounding places that I plan to visit with this message. And, and, and I think what he's trying to say is, I mean, even in this moment, like as, 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 as my disciples, I want all of your hope for all of your provision to be totally in me and in my father and in this plan and in this message. I want all of your hope for everything you could possibly physically need to be solely and only in me. This is so counter-cultural even for us that we would launch out with this kind of faith. But this is what Jesus is calling these guys to do. It's an incredible story. So you keep reading verse five. Jesus says, whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. And if those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they're not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. And don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. Verse 8. And if you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them, here's the message, the kingdom of God is near you now. I love this. Jesus is going to send these guys, these people, these disciples out Uh, with this message. And what's the message? The kingdom of God, this thing that we've always heard about, this thing we've always dreamed about, it's near you now. Like it's on the way. Hope is rising. And and, and why are people gonna listen to this message? It's because they've been sent with the words of Jesus into these communities and they've sent with the power of Jesus to heal the sick, to help to, to, to meet the needs of the people in the community. They, they've, they've been sent to these towns and these areas and these communities to go and to find those who are hurting and who are helpless and who are hopeless and to provide hope and literal healing. And when that happens, when you meet the physical needs of the people in your community, the question they're gonna ask is, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Where, where is this coming from? And the answer is this, tell them the kingdom of God is near. And then I love this. You skip down a few verses to verse 17. And everybody's home from the mission trip. They're getting off the bus. Verse 17. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Whoa. I don't know if you were like me. When I was growing up in church, we, had, we still had Sunday nights. And there was a certain Sunday night during the year, sometimes more than one, where we'd have a missionary that we supported to come and give that missionary presentation. And they had slides with the old like slide reel, they clicked and they talked. And like as a kid or as a teenager, it was all you could do, right, to, to really stay awake. And if you, if you did stay awake, then you were getting in trouble. So it was either sleep and get in trouble or, you know, or be awake and get in trouble. But I think the reason was is because when they came and they gave their missionary reports, they never said things like, even the demons obeyed us when we spoke in your name. Wow, are you kidding me? The power of God that was present in these people among people was unbelievable. And they were excited because they were seeing the power of God literally at work in their lives, through their lives, for the the benefit of others. 
It wasn't just that the kingdom of God is near you now. It's that we are experiencing the kingdom of God in us now. And what's happening is that these people, they aren't just living into an identity of who they are as as followers and disciples of Jesus. They're living out of an identity. They're living from a place that says, this is who we are. And this this is what happens when we participate in the life, in the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus says this in verse 18. Yes, he told them. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but don't don't rejoice because the evil spirits obey you. Just pause right there for a second. One of the most confusing and complicated things Jesus ever said. He sees Satan fall from heaven like lightning. What is that all about? I'm not going to pretend to have the answer, but I'll tell you this, and I think this is true. I think this is absolutely true. Whenever and wherever the kingdom of God is advancing, Satan always falls. Whenever and however and wherever the kingdom of God and the people of God advance the kingdom of God, the power of Satan always, always falls. And I want to say this because we don't talk about this much, but can we just say it out loud? Satan is real. And he is relentless. And he has nothing to lose and everything to gain. And if you are right now experiencing the power of Satan in your life in some way, if you're being tempted beyond what you can bear, if you feel like you were up under it and you don't know what to do, if you feel like it it, it is just coming in over you like a tidal wave, I can tell you that's real. I can tell you it's real. I can tell you that Satan is real. And he is relentless. And he has nothing to lose and he has everything to gain. He already knows his fate. He already knows what happened on the cross. He already knows hope is on the other side. He already knows his end. The story is God wins. And for this time, he's got a chance to do something to make a dent in the kingdom of God by taking down as many of the people of God as he possibly can. That's his goal and he's relentless in it, but his fate is already determined. He's already lost and he's going to lose. And I wanna invite you, if you've been up under that, for any amount of time to remember, we sang it this morning, that our God is a God who will never let you go. And when you step into the kingdom of God, you step into victory. Because wherever the kingdom of God is advancing, the power of Satan is always, always falling. And then Jesus says this, and I want you to notice, after this whole story where Jesus locates the identity of these disciples. Yes, I know all that's true, you said. And you should rejoice because of this. Because your names, because your names are registered in heaven. Like, this is who you are. This is what happens. This is what happens when you realize who you are. You are a people whose names are registered in heaven. You You are citizens of heaven. You are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So of course, of course this is what's gonna happen when when you go out and and you've received the words of God and you go out to share the words of God. You're gonna come home and you're gonna tell stories about things that only God could do because that's what happens when you advance the kingdom of God. That's what happens when you participate in the life and the ministry of Jesus is you see the power of God at work in unexplainable ways through you. Why? Because that's how light breaks through darkness. That's how hope breaks 
in. When you share the news, the good news with people, that the kingdom of God is near you now. And listen, that's, that was true of these disciples and that's true of these disciples too. This is who you are. You are men and women, sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this is what we're called to do. We're called to participate in the life and the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. We're called to hear the words of Jesus, and then we're we're called to to, to go into our communities and to share the words of Jesus. And then we're called to come back together and to tell the stories of how we saw light breaking through and and hope breaking in. This is what what we do as, as people who were disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens when this happens is that we get to participate in what God is doing. And what is God doing even here? Oh, well, he's making things right. And, and he's making things new. I mean, have you ever thought about the why behind the what of Jesus' entire ministry? I mean, just rewind the tape and think through it with me. You know the stories. Why does Jesus have to feed 5,000 people? Because they're hungry. Why are they hungry? Well, they're hungry, well, they're hungry because of a very obvious reason. When God first created Adam and Eve in the garden, there was no hunger. There was food everywhere. It was plentiful. It was abounding. People were never hungry until sin entered the picture And they're cast out of the garden, and then they have to work for their food. Sin broke everything. And Jesus says, I'll feed you. In fact, if you eat the living bread, you'll never be hungry again. In fact, if you drink from the living water, you'll never be thirsty again because I'm going to make all things right and all things new. And you and I are looking forward to a place on the other side of our hill where there will be no more hunger and no more thirst. Jesus comes and he heals the sick. Why are people sick? In the Garden of Eden, did Adam and Eve ever get sick? No, of course not. There's no such thing as disease or sickness. But sin comes in the picture. And it breaks everything, even our bodies. And so Jesus comes and he heals the sick. And and why does he heal the sick? To make them right, to make them new, because this is what God does. This is what happens when you participate in the life and the ministry of Jesus. He's making all things right and all things new. And we're looking forward to a day where there will be no more sickness because God is gonna make all things right and all things new the way he intended them to be from the very beginning. Jesus comes and even raises the dead. Why are people dying? Because they got kicked out of the garden because sin broke us to the point of death. But Jesus has conquered death, and one day we're going to rise again too. Because we're looking forward to a place where there, there is no more death. Oh, Jesus comes in, and, and he's doing everything. He, he even changes things. He, change, he turns the whole world upside down, and he starts taking time to meet with people like women and children. And even other people. People that are the untouchables. Why? Well, in the Garden of Eden, there was none of this classes, and there was none of this somebody's better than another person. It was, it, it, we were just all made in the image of God. But sin broke that. What did sin do? Sin separated people from people and people from God. And we're looking forward to a place where God is going to make all things right and all things new, where nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing will separate us from the people of God. This is what God does. Don't you, can you get excited about it? This is what happens when the kingdom of God is advancing. We, we participate. And if you ever wonder why we do anything that we do, I want to, you just have to ask this question. Is what we do, is what we're doing, is what we're trying to do, is it participating in making things right and making things new? Is it participating in making things on earth as they are in heaven? If the answer to that question is yes, then we want to do it every single time because we want to be a people. We want to be a church that participates in the life and ministry of Jesus that is making all things right and all things new. You see, this is an, 
an awesome message. And it's an, an incredible mission. And we are called to live from this identity, from this place, as sons, as daughters of God, as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, as people who go out into our communities and we bring hope to those who are hopeless. A couple of weeks ago, this video went viral on Facebook and the internet and other places. You, you probably saw it. And, and I don't know, I don't know the, the backstory, but I want you just to watch this little minute and a half, two minute clip of this video of a guy by the name of Robert Lewis who got a chance to play basketball for a couple of minutes in Nashville, Tennessee on his basketball team. Watch this real quick. Don't you love that? Yeah. Robert Lewis was the team manager and had been on the bench all season long, serving the team, helping the team any way he could. And the last game, the coach said, hey, I want you to put on this uniform. And sure enough, at the end of the game, he gets in the game and hits the game winning shot, a three-pointer from the corner. Whoa, every guy's dream, every kid's dream, right? Unbelievable. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if the coach knew this I don't know if the players knew this. I don't know if all the fans knew this that, that particular night. But what they did in that moment was they were participating, weren't they? In making, just for a moment, things on earth like they're going to one day be in heaven. Uh, Robert Lewis is a kid like every other kid. He loves the game of basketball like a lot of kids love the game of basketball. But there's one thing that was different about him, and you probably noticed that he, had, he has Down syndrome. And because of that, it, was a, it, it separated him out from the rest of the guys. But that one night he got a chance to go in and got a chance to play. And he got a chance to hit the game-winning shot. And he did. And he did. And, and the stadium erupted. Both teams rush in. They carry him off the court. It's a moment that all of us, we love that kind of stuff. We love these kinds of stories. Why do we love these kinds of stories? Because we know. We know in our heart of hearts that this is the way the world is supposed to be. We know in our heart of hearts that this is the way that God created the world and it's supposed to work. That in God's economy, in God's kingdom, every person matters. And there's hope for everyone. And there's nothing that separates us. 
And what we get to do as the church, as the body of Christ, is participate in bringing that message of hope to those who need it most. And so here's, here's what I want to ask you to do this week. Just think about that. What can you do? What can you do to bring, to bring hope to someone that needs help this week? Chances are there's someone in your family, at your work, in your school, in your neighborhood, where you're going on spring break vacation that is going to need some help. And what can you do as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth to bring hope to that person in a tangible way this week? This is what we get to do. And what we do is we, we come together today, we hear the words of Jesus, and then we're going to be sent out into the world on mission for Jesus. And next week when we, get, when we gather, we come back to tell those stories of how we saw hope breaking in and breaking through. And we saw the power of God at work in and through our lives. Because the world needs hope. And we have that hope. And we know that hope. Church, if you would stand with me. So I'm going to close with with these words of Paul to remind us of where our hope really does come from. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit because we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return is our Savior. May you go into this week remembering your identity as citizens of heaven. And because of your identity, may you live out of that identity of hope. And may you take the hope of Christ to all those you interact with. And may you help with hope as you see hope arising around us this season.